0: Welcome, you're listening to A Pop of Psych, a fun and educational podcast about the interdisciplinary applications of psychology. Hello everybody, my name is Michelle and I will be your host for today. On the 14th episode of A Pop of Psych, I will be discussing the theories behind language acquisition, a topic that I personally find really fascinating as a bicultural bilingual. If you are also fascinated by polyglots or toddlers who pick up languages with great ease, then today's episode is one you don't want to miss. Just thinking about language and what it allows humans to do is really cool. Think about it, no other species, at least from what I know of in my bank of knowledge, can really express ideas through sentences and words. And so I think there's so many questions as well revolving around this whole notion, like how did we get to know the languages that we speak and what is really, what is language? And so I'll start off by defining language in the context of our podcast episode today, because those are one of the few questions that I can actually answer. Um, So language is a collection of arbitrary symbols with rules used by members of a community to communicate an infinite variety of messages, end quote. And to start talking about some language acquisition theories, I'll be discussing the earlier ones or the ones that were that happened first within the timeline or chronology of language acquisition research in order to give an overview as well as a big picture of how language acquisition research has evolved throughout the decades. And to go off on a brief tangent but I think slightly relevant, it's really interesting to also kind of think about how different experts and scholars and investigators and researchers interact with their own theories and thoughts because as I delve into these you'll find that a lot of these ideas are contrasting but when you think about them like some of them make sense and could make sense in your head like um as like a normal person you can kind of like justify these things and like make yourself understand these theories at the but simultaneously these theories are all very different and offer a different explanation of how we have come to acquire language and like speak and share ideas so now back on track starting in 1957 um, excuse my pronunciation Burhus frederick skinner was one of the pioneers of behaviorism and the behaviorist approach to language learning Skinner believed that language development was accounted for by the environmental influences. So to give additional context in terms of the nature versus nurture ideas, um, this nature versus nurture idea will be very relevant through our discussion today because that's how a lot of people uh, view tend to view language acquisition um, in one of these two sides. So... To get back on track, Skinner was definitely a believer of this nurture side of the nature versus nurture argument. So he believed that, you know, nurture your environment was influential in how you'd acquired language. Um, Skinner also argued that children learn language based on reinforcement principles. And what that really means is that this entails associating words with meanings and I'm talking about reinforcement principles um, in the context of language learning. Um, it has a bigger application in the entirety of behavior, um, behavioral science, but I'm talking about language learning. So this entails associating words with meanings and correct utterances made by the child would be positively reinforced as the child realizes the communicative values of the words and phrases that he or she or they utters. And this obviously evolves into eventually learning how to use your sentences to state your thoughts and opinions and so on and so forth. Now, before I move on, I just want to quickly illustrate an example of positive reinforcement. Are you finished? Well, thank you. How thoughtful. Would you like a chocolate? Um, yeah, sure. Sheldon I almost sat in your spot did you I didn't notice have a chocolate thank you you're here a lot now oh am I talking too much I'm sorry thank you Mm -hmm. chocolate reinforcement for what you consider correct behavior very good now for those who didn't know this was a scene from the big bang theory which is an american tv show and this specific scene illustrates um, positive reinforcement and a later clip also illustrates negative reinforcement. But for our purposes, this um, while the scene in the Big Bang Theory is more so about using positive reinforcement to change behavior, the principle is sort of similar and, and stays the same actually for language learning to uh, further illustrate this for example if a toddler says the word milk and the mother smiles and rewards the toddler with milk the child would find this outcome rewarding and positive thus enhancing the k- positive connection with the word and learning what the word means as well as enhancing the overall language development of the for the child and so by rewarding the child with milk or a smile or something that positively reinforces that memory um, this is the same thing as sheldon positively reinforcing good behaviors with a chocolate now coming back to our chronology of language acquisition research later on after this after skinner's behaviorist ideas In the spirit of the cognitive revolution of the 1950s, a now world-renowned linguist by the name Noam Chomsky criticized this aforementioned behaviorist nurture theory. Chomsky argued that, in fact, children will never acquire the tools needed to process this infinite number of sentences and words if language mechanism was dependent on language input alone. And so instead, he proposed this theory of universal grammar, Um, I also just want to go off another tangent and preface that if you take IB language and literature, this is a concept you do learn and discuss in class, and I personally thought it was really interesting. Um, But now going back on track, universal grammar is obviously a nature view of the whole nature versus nurture uh, argument with regards to language acquisition. And the theory of universal grammar asserts that there's already an innate biological grammatical categories within the child such as a noun category and a verb category inside the brain of a child that facilitates the entirety of a child's language development as well as the procedure of language processing within adults. In other words, Universal Grammar asserts that all the necessary grammatical information needed to combine these categories like noun, verb, and etc. into phrases is already there. like Everyone is already born with this capacity so the job and the task of a child is to just learn the words of the language and connect all these ideas together however research on this universal grammar theory is still ongoing and the underlying biological mechanisms to back it up are still unknown and on that note in the next segment i'll be discussing more modern research regarding language acquisition now moving on to more recent and modern theories and research regarding language acquisition so a decade or two later after noam chomsky began to talk about his theory regarding universal grammar some psycholinguists which are basically people or experts who study the relationships between linguistic behavior and psychological processes began to question the soundness and validity of universal grammar and these critics argued that categories like the noun and verb are biologically, evolutionarily, and psychologically implausible. So these researchers and critics started to suggest that their, instead of there existing a language-specific mechanism for language processing, children may be utilizing some general cognitive and learning principles. So to just clear things up because this is a, like a bombardment of information, To clarify, while researchers approaching the questions of language acquisition from the perspective of universal grammar, aka Chomsky's point of view, argue for early productivity, which basically means like you're um, born with everything you need to know in order to learn language. The opposing constructivist investigators, which are the most more recent, more modern ideas regarding language acquisition. So the opposing constructivist investigators argue for a perspective that concerns a more gradual developmental process. And these constructivist researchers suggested that children are actually sensitive to the patterns of language, which enables them to acquire the language itself in the long run. So an example of this gradual pattern learning is uh, present in morphology acquisition and morphology oops, sorry, morphology acquisition has to do with morphemes, which are essentially the building blocks of a language, or like the small grammatical markers or units that alter words. So an example of a morpheme that I'll be discussing in order to illustrate morphology acquisition, I'm so sorry, um, would be the S that um, follows words like going from the word dog to dogs or from Let's say leg to legs, um, keyboard to keyboards, or maybe for a verb, like, um, I guess, what else? Um, Read to reads. So you get the idea here. And it's believed that children acquired their first instances of the third singular forms like the dog barks or she eats as an entire phrasal chunk as entire phrasal chunks rather than understanding the individual grammatical um, components of the phrases. So what that basically means that children don't understand like when they first learn the link like their first language they don't understand what she or eats individually mean but they understand that she eats has to do with eating um so yeah and eventually when a child hears a sufficient amount of these instances of this certain linguistic construction such as this third person singular verb that we have been discussing the child would start to detect patterns in the many utterances that have been heard And as a result of these repetitions and repeated examples, this specific child that we're talking about um, will eventually acquire the sophisticated language, sorry, sophisticated knowledge that in English, verbs must be marked with this S morphine in the third singular form. So to summarize things once more, because I know it's a lot of, I guess, technological vocabulary regarding linguistics and psycholinguistics. So just to summarize things, basically people who believe in universal grammar are still trying to research and prove their assertion that language is a demanding task. Too demanding to acquire without some innate equipment in your brain, whereas these more recent constructivist believers and researchers are arguing that linguistic input is much more important in language acquisition than this innate toolkit that, you know, Noam Chomsky has asserted. And in addition to the theories of universal grammar and constructivism, there are obviously many more theories that I want to talk about, but I'll just briefly touch upon some of the, um, I guess, bigger theories in addition to um, this nature versus nurture ideas. So the social learning theory emphasizes the importance of imitation in language development, and imitation is thought to be partly correct this imitation theory is uh, thought to be partly correct as it's unable to account for the errors in child speech so we know that imitation is important but imitation explaining all of language learning development can't account for the errors that children make as they learn how to speak and moreover another theory is that The socialization theory asserts and views children as novices who learn language through corrective feedback from adults as they interact to communicate their desires. And this is basically saying that, you know, these social interactions eventually guide children through linguistic socialization and allow them to learn grammar and vocabulary through social interactions. And there are many more theories. So if you are interested, please make sure to head on to our website at www.apopofpsych.witsych.com wixsite.com slash psych to click through our list of resources because I've done a lot of reading for this but I'm unable to fit everything into a concise episode so I suggest you know if you're interested do some more reading because it's quite fascinating at least you know in my brain I think it's quite fascinating but you know to each his or her own Um, Nonetheless, the many questions about language acquisition still remain largely unanswered. Um, And some of the big questions that still are, you know, floating in the realm of language acquisition research include, you know, what is the exact biological and psychological process that transforms a child's utterances into a grammatically correct form of speech? And how much does a child need to be exposed to a language to achieve an adult-like state of fluency? And perhaps more interestingly, another question is, what can explain the variation between languages and the language acquisition process in children acquiring second languages or other languages that are not English? So with these questions in mind, I'll now be moving on to the next segment, which is about language learning and specifically second language acquisition. Why do many students and adults struggle learning a second or even a third language at school or through independent meets? Because on the other hand, for newborns and toddlers, it seems that learning a new language is quite effortless. And since our brain plasticity tends to decrease with age, I think this can obviously explain why it becomes much more difficult to acquire a new language with this native-like competence. So in the context of speak, uh, sorry, uh, picking up a second language for monolinguals or perhaps a third language even for bicultural bilinguals, which is the case for many immigrants or 1.5 or second generation hyphenated Americans, aka you know korean americans japanese americans chinese americans um vietnamese americans etc cetera, etc cetera. the context of learning this extra language depends on your native language or languages as your brain has been pre-configured to recognize and produce that particular language or languages so to give i guess general tips on learning a new language um most of these are pretty basic but i think that's for a good reason because all of these are rooted in some sort of research and that has been scientifically you know backed up and so to give a tip i'd say focusing on key vocabulary that's relevant to your learning purposes is really important because there's no way that you're gonna need to learn every single word in this particular language because unless you're learn really learning it i guess just to learn the sake like for the sake of it just to really master it i think um, being smart with the vocabulary you learn is not a bad idea at all so to just give an example when i you know tried learning japanese over the summer Um, emphasis on tried because I didn't have a lot of time and even though you know my motivation and my interest was really high my time was low so you know that balance doesn't work out all the time but anyways when I tried learning Japanese over the summer I focused on learning words and vocabulary and phrases that I needed as a student and a possible tourist because I you know I have I have dreams of you know studying abroad in Japan one day possibly or just traveling there because I think Japan's a really beautiful place but you know that's going off on a tangent but yeah so I tried to gear my vocabulary towards like college school um, and just like asking locations places and whatnot so that's most of the vocabulary I have written down in my notebook Um, Another tip is to focus on learning the most practical and common grammatical patterns. So again, with these patterns, it's really important to identify patterns when you're learning anything new for that matter, especially for a language, I guess, because it makes your life a lot easier. So back to me learning Japanese, um, since I speak Korean as well, because I'm Korean American, and I grew up speaking Korean as a Korean American, which means I'm also bicultural bilingual. I have some command over Korean grammar and so since Korean and Japanese are grammatically similar this you know identifying grammatical patterns wasn't a huge struggle for me like I didn't really have to think about it Um, but to give another yet another example as I tried to learn as I am learning um, Spanish in school, it's quite difficult to spontaneously speak in Spanish since um, English grammar is different from Spanish and I'm trying to focus on learning grammar by identifying common patterns in the sentences that I read and the example that my teacher gives. So that's what I'm currently doing in order to um, acquire Spanish basically. And I guess to go off on yet another tangent, I think this is really cool because I just realized this, but I think it's really interesting that in Korean I try to formulate um sorry when I try to talk in Japanese or blurt things in Japanese I think in Korean first because I know that Korean grammar at least from the languages I know Korean grammar is the most similar to Japanese grammar so that only makes sense so I really think in like Korean like I think I say Korean sentences in my head as I'm trying to speak or think of Japanese sentences to translate into but on the other hand, when I'm trying to speak in Spanish, I first formulate a semblance of a sentence in my head in English, um, because you know that's the most similar language in my uh, bank of knowledge that I can find that is similar to Spanish, which is not that really similar, but but they're both using the same similar alphabet at least. So that's kind of like what I think is interesting. I use. A different I guess base language I'm not too sure about the technical terms here but I use a different base language in order to try to learn and utilize my new acquired language I guess perhaps someone out there is doing research on how bicultural bilinguals acquire other languages who knows but I think this is like a good food for thought to think about And my last tip, obviously, if you can, you should interact in your target language as often as possible. And this is... when I mean like interact with it I don't mean like you know just talk to another person in that language you're trying to learn because that's not the case for everyone and not everyone has that opportunity what I mean is like interact with the media so like read comics read books read novels read newspaper articles watch a lot of things listen to a lot of things you know so for me my motivation for learning Japanese is to understand the lyrics to my favorite Japanese songs and as well as watch a Studio Ghibli film without the need for english subtitles or korean dubbing so i just want to get to that level so i'm consuming japanese music and japanese media and japanese movies which just gives me extra exposure like even if i don't understand just kind of hearing how words are pronounced and how sounds are produced in that language is really useful and powerful as well i'm nowhere near where i want to be but one day i'll get there with the tips i've just shared as well and that concludes our third segment you have reached the outro In this episode, I discussed many language acquisition theories, as well as some general tips and ponderings regarding language learning, and as usual, please feel free to send in audio messages or requests through our anchor link. It's a great way to interact with us, and we'd love to hear about your thoughts and opinions. And thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with another engaging episode within the next two weeks.